and welcome to Tech UK's Case podcast. My name is Catherine Holden, Head of Data Analytics, Artificial Intelligence and Digital Identity at Tech UK. This month, we're talking all things AI with a focus on the UK's upcoming National UK AI Strategy. We have a brilliant lineup of guests from Microsoft, Tata Consultancy Services and HPE. Delighted to be joined by David Frank, UK Government Affairs Manager at Microsoft. David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. So to start, maybe, could you tell listeners a little bit about your role at Microsoft? Thank you. Uh, Well, you've already mentioned I'm Government Affairs Manager in our corporate affairs team based in London. And I work on issues around the ethical use of AI and more broadly, the ethical use of technology. So privileged to be able to do this with colleagues, both in the UK, Brussels and our global headquarters, including the Office of Responsible AI team that's led by Natasha Crampton. And obviously Natasha gave one of the keynote addresses at the conference back in December. Excellent. What a fascinating and such an exciting role, particularly at this given time. Um, I think maybe just to kick off kind of our conversation today, it'd be great to cast our minds back to December when we held, as you mentioned, Tech UK's fourth annual Digital Ethics Summit. It'd be great to get, I guess, from your perspective, what were your kind of reflections on the summit and what do you feel following that summit needs to happen next? Of course, and those are big questions. So, My first reflection at a macro level would be a really positive reflection on how the conversation has developed uh, over the last four years within the conference. As you say, this was the fourth year that you had held the event. It was the fourth year that we had been in a position to be your headline partner. And sort of that reflection of just the conversation is now at a richer, deeper level with more people participating. And the the fact that it was a virtual event in December just gone, obviously enabled more people to participate. And, and that has to be a good thing because we're talking about issues that are relevant for society and therefore you want as many voices heard as possible. So further reflection would be, that I don't think any of us back in December thought that we would still, three or four months later, still be all working remotely in in this virtual world. But it shows the strength of technology to continue to keep us connected and engaged in, in, in these conversations. And it sort of highlights how central to our life technology of all aspects uh, now is and how, how we're using it. And then with the actual sort of event itself and and the conversations and discussions that took place, the sort of breakout sessions that dug into issues around sustainability or fair use of data or the sort of continued conversation around the impact on the the labour force and and the job market. I mean, they clearly show, from my perspective, the, the sort of discussion trends and where continued sort of focus and listening to other voices is needed. Absolutely, I could not agree more. And I guess on that sustainability point with COP26 only around the corner, that's going to be a a key area and issue that people will be prioritising over the next few months. Uh, Absolutely. I, I think we've probably all seen some recent 
analysis or statistics showing the carbon footprint from streaming and and we all uh, use in some form at some point in each week streaming products but delivered by some really innovative organizations uh, for entertainment or, or work and that sort of growing public awareness around the sort of sustainability angle and both what that means and how technology can be part of that solution to help organizations and individuals think further about their their carbon footprint and and how they can use technology to sort of help reduce it and without this being a product a plug for, for the sort of great work we do but if i if i may uh yeah, we're, we're looking to build solutions that help our customers think about when they run uh, business applications in the cloud so to give one example do they need to run their payroll process during the working day or could they set that up to be automated at, in, at night when when they're the network is is under less strain and therefore using less energy and you know, thinking about it in in that sense or how you use connect connectivity and connected devices so that you take in a whole range of inputs and help manage the temperature of buildings automatically mm. to reduce energy consumption or in the other end of the sustainability conversation and we talk about it as a sort of planetary computer mm. where you pull in a whole range of data feeds to sort of help uh, counter illegal deforestation or manage water flow. And, and again, these have ethical dimensions around the impact of society and what trade-offs people are prepared to tolerate. But yeah, terribly exciting future with that. Really exciting. And that's some terrific examples that you bring in there that I think, you know, many people can learn from just really sort of re rethinking and reframing how, how we you know conduct some of our business processes in a way that's more sustainable. That's some terrific examples. And um, I guess, you know, talking about uh, sort of opportunities, of course, since uh, December, uh, the UK government has committed to publishing a national AI strategy by the end of this year, which is something that Tech UK and of course our members have been um, advocating and uh, requesting for, for a while now. So it's great to see that that has risen up the, uh, you know, the agenda. What from your perspective would you like to see in that strategy? Great question. And I, the answer sort of has three components. So firstly, a sort of at a sort of holistic view that it's that it's fully integrated with the innovation strategy that the government is developing, the grow back better industrial strategy that has been published along with some of the other measures that the Chancellor announced in the March budget so that it, it sort of joined up policy making and and listening to officials recently I certainly um, take certain comfort that that's where their thinking is that this isn't uh, a sort of standalone strategy or publication but that actually it's part of a bigger piece and and therefore has longevity but it's equally important that there is a skills dimension because this will only succeed if it's connected with 
the thinking around how do people have the skills to both use and benefit from AI. So that's sort of bucket one. Bucket two is around recognizing that there's no there's no one thing that is AI. Artificial intelligence is lots of potential applications and uses. So there there isn't one strategic input or, or solution uh, and therefore you one needs to think carefully about what outcomes uh, do what one want to see in the, str the strategy support or deliver um, and that it should also be considered as part of the sort of wider public sector approach to public policy one of the things i felt wasn't given as much prominence in, in the first AI strategy was how the public sector itself can use AI to help with some of the big societal challenges already sort of talked about. One around the sort of climate change crisis and sustainability, but as we've all seen over the last year or so with the response to COVID and the greater use of data to help the NHS and, and uh, respond to that, that's actually sort of a public policy angle. And so I'd, I'd hope there's sort of greater sort of thinking done, done there. And then the sort of final space, I, for this to really have interest beyond the sort of AI community and the tech sector, I would hope that it recognizes the sort of genuine concerns there are about the impact technology um, that might be labelled as artificial intelligence or on wider society. And we saw some of that discussion play out over the last year with the legal challenge against South Wales police deployment of facial recognition that was in the UK, similar uh, civil rights conversations in public in the US, um, Microsoft along with a number of other technology businesses putting a moratorium on selling facial recognition to law enforcement. And so I, I would hope that that dimension is covered as well, um, so that you start to see a public conversation about where are people happy to see this technology deployed and how do they feel they have agency in that decision? That's really interesting. A lot of the stuff you said there, you know, is a lot of food for, food for thought. And I think actually, one thing that's definitely I found very encouraging having spoken to officials at sort of uh, DCMS is very much this appetite to ensure that they are engaging with the likes of industry and you know you would hope to an extent uh, there is a, a number of sort of opportunities for the public as well to get involved so they can really vocalise maybe some of the issues or challenges that they are facing with the adoption of artificial intelligence across different sectors so I think yes very, very important issue, and it's going to be certainly a priority for Tech UK and its members over the coming over the coming months. I guess, kind of building on that point, it would be great to get, um, understand from your perspective, David. What are the kind of areas or applications that you feel like the UK should be leading on when it comes to AI? There are sort of three areas. There's the sort of public sector space. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, private sector, and then sort of civil society. So if take this of public sector, with the NHS is an amazing organization and has the ability to sort of support innovation in that sort of health tech space. And if you look at the recent health and social care 
legislative white paper, there are multiple references to the use of technology, the use of data. And so there's that sense that the UK um, could be a real incubator for the ethical use of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning within healthcare and the broader public sector. The Microsoft Research Centre up in Cambridge, there's some world-leading research into AI and healthcare, and we've made some recent announcements about how some of that technology can help radiologists uh, and radiographers with diagnosis, diagnostics, um, as well as other, bit, other medical specialisms. So there's that sense of the UK has real opportunity there with the strength of the sort of academic research, businesses here, uh, and how the state could think about the role it plays as a sort of incubator and facilitator. There's then the sort of private sector with the sort of regulatory regime, a number of regulators have, have regulatory sandboxes to encourage innovation, and the Law Society has done some thinking around the sort of potential framework there. And what I think is interesting in, in, in an opportunity for the UK in that space is if one feels that the sort of political conversation in the UK is around a communitarian approach now to technology, regulation, role of the state, then that I feel gives an opportunity for the UK to think about how does this technology get developed and deployed that works for everybody? So when the government talks about levelling up what does that mean from a sense of rolling out technology so that people feel they have choice and it supports their lives and that they can have a say over when it's used or how it's used? And then we, you, you could break that down and say one example could be a conversation around how would law enforcement use facial recognition or biometrics uh, versus other bits of the public sector and, and at what point would people say they're comfortable with that? And at what point might they say, oh, we want to pause and think further? Mm. You know, no, no secret, we've been very supportive of legislation that was passed in Washington State, which talked about accountability, auditability, right, right of redress. And, and the UK has real heritage in those sort of principles in a number of areas. So you could see that being sort of deployed further. And then in the sort of not-for-profit space or the third sector, again, the UK has some real heritage there and, and with some real world-leading institutions based in the UK in a number of sectors, be that the skills space or the sort of international aid and development space, which gives them an opportunity to innovate and draw on the strengths here. And, and I think the UK is perhaps one of the few countries in the world which could see real innovation in any one of those areas, but also together, and that you could um, get some interesting partnerships. That's some brilliant examples there. I think uh, I would agree with all of them. I think that's really interesting, the work you mentioned around AI in the healthcare space, and obviously we've seen that really, you know, incredibly prevalent over the over the last year with what with the pandemic I completely would agree with the facial recognition work that is another area which I expect over the next year or so will resurface as we look to sort of return to work and, and what that looks like so 
expecting more sort of parliamentary debate and discussion in that area for sure, which is an area, as you know, with our facial recognition working group, we will certainly be continuing to work on and advocating for guidance in an area which, you know, is is quite a grey area at the moment. I think many would many would recognise mm -hmm. it. I think my final question then would be if we sort of looking ahead now, what are you most excited about uh, over the next year and, and why is that? I think the thing I'm most excited about is we all, all of us as individuals and as part of the community and society we're, we're, we're members of have seen over the last year the real benefits of using technology and I'm excited about that continuing and seeing how that develops. COVID has obviously been tremendously difficult for everybody, especially for those who've lost loved ones. But it's also shown the tremendous step stride forward one can take through the use of technology and, and machine learning within that and AI within that. And, and that excites me, that the sort of public conversation about how do we want to use these technologies in an ethical way that, that has support for innovation, but innovation for purpose, or the other way of potentially looking at that is uh, innovation for social good. And coming back to that question that's often asked around just because you can do something doesn't mean one should and I think that sort of keeping that as a sort of constant question around what's the purpose I think that's what excites me and and then within that the UK has some big challenges in the sort of recovery from from Covid and the economic impact but that that also creates opportunities for people to retrain and reskill as they re-enter the labour market if, if unfortunately they've been furloughed or made redundant and out of that you hope that there'll be sort of further innovation and a, a sort of bright future. That's brilliant I think a lot of us are looking forward to that return to some form of normality for sure. Um, unfortunately, uh, David, that's all we've got time for today. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you for joining us on Tech UK's podcast today. It's been brilliant talking to you. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you for, uh, for asking me to take part. Hello and welcome to our guests, Matt Armstrong-Barnes and Louise Folliot from HPE. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks very much for having us. <laughs> nice to be here. To kick us off, would you mind providing listeners with a brief intro to your roles within HPE? Maybe Matt, starting with you. Yeah, hi, uh, Matt Armstrong-Barnes. I'm a Chief Technologist for Artificial Intelligence at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. So that means I, I work with customers um, pretty exclusively on driving either AI adoption, AI understanding, and I cover all aspects from projects and project delivery right the way through to the more software oriented or infrastructure and hardware oriented aspect of artificial intelligence. Excellent, thank you. And Louise? Thank you. So Louise Folliot, so I'm the UK, Ireland, Middle East and South Africa Business Development Lead for Artificial Intelligence Infrastructure and Solutions. So I work very closely with Matt, um, talking with our customers to build out those 
solutions on how to use artificial intelligence within their organisations. Louise, if I can maybe come to you first, how has HPE been using AI and machine learning to improve things like energy efficiency, sustainability and resiliency in data centres? Thank you, Catherine. And it's a really interesting and topical question to start with, um, you know, following the commitments at the Global Climate Summit last week to ensure we reduce global carbon emissions. The IT industry has a huge role to play in this. Maybe if I um, explain HP's approach to uh, the circular economy and, and uh, product lifecycle, I can then come on to where AI plays a part in this. So if we break down that life cycle, we've got four stages from design of our products and implementation within our customers. The second phase is our, you know, how we manufacture and the supply chain efficiencies and responsibilities. The third then is then how our customers use and optimize the use of the assets and how they then take away and how we can help them take away and recycle those assets when they no longer need them through our HP financial services organization. And then the fourth one is really about how we consume IT going forward. And that's where HP's strategy to be the edge cloud platform as a service organization is really key. So where are we um, using artificial intelligence and machine learning within those four cycles? If I come back to the design of our products, so within our products, we have HPE InfoSight, which is a machine learning platform, leveraging one of the largest data lakes in the IT industry. And it uses machine learning across our entire install base to predict and prevent problems happening. So what that means really for our customers is that it enables self-managing, self-healing, and self-optimizing technology. Just to, to give you an example, what HPE InfoSight does is it predicts and automatically resolves 86% of customer issues before they even happen. So if I think about then where else we're using it, if I think about our supply chain, you know, we're also using machine learning to really optimize our supply chain so that we minimize um, our carbon emissions um, through um, delivery of parts and services out to our customers. How fascinating, my goodness. I really like that breakdown as well. That's really, uh, really interesting. Um, Matt, anything you want to add from your side to that question? Yeah, I think from a HB perspective, sustainability is a core strategic objective of ours and as Lou said you know we have we definitely have a, a very clearly defined vision about how artificial intelligence plays a role in IT infrastructure to make it optimized and when we start thinking about optimized we start thinking about energy efficiency and the kind of benefit that that would derive from an environmental perspective but also in terms of we use AI in our own supply chain so that it's highly optimized um, and as a result, we're not creating any wastage in our supply chain processes, which really has a you know considerable knock-on effect from an environmental viewpoint. So definitely, I think having sustainability as a core strategic objective should be in all organisations' charter. 
but then you need to think about the right tools and techniques that you bring in to make that a reality because it is a challenging thing to achieve and that's where really artificial intelligence comes in to allow you to really drive that strategic objective of making your organization support sustainability and and fundamentally have a positive impact you know across the planet and i guess we know that sort of sustainability will also be a key pillar in the government's plans for a national UK AI strategy, which we're looking for to be published sort of by the end of this year. What are your thoughts from an HP perspective, maybe Matt, starting with you? What what sort of things would you like to see within that strategy? I think it's got to be far reaching. I think it's got to be quite broad and it's got to look at AI across a multi-year dimension. But I do think we need to, we really need to think right at the beginning you know human capital and we are doing so hpe we're working with other countries around their human capital strategy and really what we're trying to do is to help at a country level uh, our, our customers understand how they can build a workforce for the future mm -hmm. and that's one of the things i think we need to think about around human capital is have we got right from the beginning stem embedded in in schools in primary schools right the way through to secondary right the way up through to doctoral places that are helping drive the r d agenda some other things i think the strategy really needs to start thinking about is operationalization you know one of the one of the major hurdles that i see speaking and working on artificial intelligence projects is twofold really one is an interesting science project. Um, science projects have a tendency to be created in a laboratory, live in a laboratory and die in a laboratory, <laughs> or the age old build it and they will come, they won't. So as a result associated with the strategy, we really need to start thinking about how we take AI initiatives and make sure that they are pegged against real needs and the strategy needs to address how they become operationalized how we take some of these initiatives and really turn them into into reality and there's quite a lot of steps associated with that so skills primary it's you know it's a definitely a challenge that we're seeing across the industry how we operationalize and make ai a reality we do of course need to make sure that ethical considerations are being built in um, and some of the strategy around that but also frameworks around requirements you know what are the standard ways that we define how we're going to build an artificial intelligence and some of the key tenants that are going to make that successful uh, what regulation needs to live in the space because at the at the minute there's there's quite a lot of maturity that needs to happen but also we need to start thinking right at a foundational level around infrastructure and that that it comes in terms of the compute infrastructure the storage infrastructure but also data how do we understand how we're going to pull the right data into an overarching strategy that makes it available that it means it can be democratized available to everybody but in a controlled fashion that is really going to accelerate ai initiatives and pull them in the right strategic direction which is one of the things that i think you know we need to see coming out of this new set of documentation that's coming out at the government level 
Thanks, Matt. You really do, I think, emphasise some really key priority areas there. You mentioned around sort of data, skills, infrastructure. I think these are all areas that we really do hope to see some firm commitments from government. And I would completely echo your, uh, I guess, need for sort of something that's practical, that works for industry, you know, for SMEs and the larger companies as well. It's something which we really need to be keeping front and centre when building this strategy. It can't be you know a document that sort of sits on sits on a website somewhere it needs to be something that kind of has that legacy and something that we can continue to to use and build on over time uh, so louise anything you'd like to add from your side i just wanted to echo uh, what matt just mentioned there about the skills piece uh, and for me this is really critical so how do we um as a country building the right programs within our education system for artificial intelligence. So how do we build this in right from primary school age within our already packed out curriculum? It is really key, but a really complicated area that we need to um, give a lot of consideration to. That's a really good point. Thank you, Louise. Unfortunately, we have time for one last question. So uh, looking a little sort of ahead, so, so maybe later this year, I can't believe that we're already in sort of the second quarter of 2021 already and things are hopefully going to evolve and change as as we sort of see the UK's response to sort of the post the, the post COVID pandemic. But, you know, sort of looking beyond beyond some of the things we've been talking about, what are you most excited for this year and why? Maybe Matt, starting with you. Yeah, sure. I think artificial intelligence has, has changed over the past 18 months for two years. Uh, definitely a shift that I'm seeing driven at board level. So a couple of years ago, board level was asking, why, does this, why is this an AI project? And now we're seeing, why are we not doing this using artificial intelligence? And that really is, is, is accelerating AI adoption. We're moving into May, it becoming much more mainstream, you know, and that's not just across large organisations, that's smaller organisations as well. You know, AI really needs to be democratised to make it a transformational technology available to everybody. Now, what do I mean by that? Democratised, available to everybody, you know, simple to implement, simple to adopt, simple to take forward. And we are seeing organisations are getting hit by a tsunami of data every day. And the only way of tackling that data is by bringing in new techniques and new technology that are around how you handle that data. It, it's physically impossible for human beings to tackle this anyway. And if we start to think about some, some really exciting stuff that HPE have been doing, so we power the International Space Station and we're helping put AI workloads in space. So for me, hugely interesting area of adoption, some of the scientific experiments that we're going to be running up there, running on these, these AI-based um, infrastructure that HPE have put in. But we've also done some really, some groundbreaking stuff around bringing AI into accelerated drug discovery. So we did a, a multi-year piece of work with the University of South Carolina, the Medical University, and this is really about how AI can start to look at human beings and the, the number of drugs that there are currently and start to work out which are the most effective. So which drugs will have the biggest impact on a specific, at a specific individual level to help them with the ease, ease, of, ease of ailments or 
um, really accelerating them on their, their you know clinical pathway through to recovery. Some, so some huge developments I think we're seeing where AI is playing a critical role in driving you know transformation and I gave you a couple of examples that are kind of out there but really we're seeing this technology coming in much more a day-to-day basis across both large and small organizations so is AI helping to change the world uh, yes it is is it becoming a much more mainstream technology yes it is does it need to be in every organization's toolbox to help them address some of the challenges around operating in the modern post-COVID world? Definitely it does. And really it's about, about how you can bring AI in to add massive value to your organization and be a, a huge accelerator with all organizations that are, are going on the digital transformation journey. That is some really, really fascinating examples there, Matt. I particularly like the thought of sort of the use of AI in space now, that's um, that's a new one to me. So, uh, you know, really looking forward to seeing how that work progresses. And Louise, from your side, what are you most excited for this year? I think for me to answer that question, thinking about the next 12 months, probably have to just take a step back and look at the last um, 12 months that we've just been through. And, and the, what the pandemic did was advance our customers need for digital transformation. And as Matt said, you know, with that tsunami of data and new data, um, we've really seen our customers have to change the way that they um, using that data for outcomes within their businesses. And that's why it's so exciting to see um, how quickly we can use that to um, create new outcomes. So what I'm excited about in the next 12 months is continuing the momentum that we've seen in the last 12 months. Thank you and I really look forward to seeing HPA's progress in all those areas and all those you know really wide and broad applications that you know have such a huge impact on on the economy and society. So I'd just like to say a huge thank you to you both for joining me on the podcast today. It has been it's been fantastic chatting with you both and uh, thanks again. Welcome back to the Tech UK podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by our next guest, Shanky Viswanathan, CTO and Global Head of the Industry Advisory Group, Communications, Media and Information Services at Tata Consultancy Services. Hi, Shanky. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Catherine. Pleasure's mine. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Are you able, I guess, to begin with, just to give us a brief introduction uh, on yourself and the role that you have at TCS? Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be in this podcast. Uh, my name is uh, Shanky Vishwanathan, and as Catherine was mentioning, I am the Chief Technology Officer and the Head of the Industry Advisory Group for uh, the Communication, Media and Information Services Business Unit at uh, TCS. In this role, as a CTO, uh, it's, it's such a charming opportunity for me to explore how a myriad of technology disruptions can be harnessed by my customers to power enterprises into the future. It is such a fabulous uh, role as a CTO that I do. And as the head of industry advisory, it's a privilege and honor to help CXOs across my customer base 
embrace their organization learnings and more importantly navigate through these huge element of cross industry disruptions that are happening and help themselves transform in the age of ecosystems platforms and what i call as experience economy so that is primarily my role in short thanks shanky and i guess from your side where are tcs seeing the greatest adoption of ai at the moment yeah, I think uh, it's uh, fascinating uh, in the industry that I operate in, which is uh, CMI. Uh, now, customer experience is becoming a fundamental theme of transformation across my entire customer base. Everything is becoming digital by design and default. And uh, CX, which is the transformation around this digital uh, mode of customer engagement, is becoming a huge opportunity space for AI exploitation how customer experience transformation can transcend channels, how it can be proactive, how it can be preemptive, anticipating customer's intent, how it can drive an experiential customer engagement process. And more importantly, how is it intelligent, knowing, understanding the customer context and ensuring that the industry and the enterprise responds in kind to the customer context. This whole intelligence fabric we are increasingly seeing powered by AI, and we are doing a fabulous uh, work with some of our customers across uh, so Jurassic Fiber, Vodafone, or Comcast to drive that transformation for them. That is the first area, which is all around customer experience transformation. With COVID, uh, of course, with adversity, our customers have started investing significant element of technology to drive capabilities to transform their operations. Naturally, remote operations and touchless operations is a key aspect, but we are seeing an extension of this implementation across the fundamental fabric of operations. It can be network planning, as we are helping Vodafone Zigo, or in open reach, in terms of marketing and campaign transformation. It can be in terms of uh, the whole aspect of business operations. So there is a huge opportunity space for telcos and our media customers to transform their enterprise with the way AI can be leveraged. And naturally, the third element is all about data and automation. I think uh, customers have traditionally embraced, for example, RPA and so on and so forth to drive a transformative impact driven by automation. But with AI, it becomes an opportunity for them to transform their organization itself, the way they work. And hence, automation becomes a very central exploitation lever for AI in our enterprises. That's really interesting and I'm really pleased and encouraged to hear you're seeing an increased adoption in AI um, across all sorts of sectors. Uh, but of course, alongside uh, the kind of the opportunities, there are still challenges. What are you what are you seeing from your perspective as the most common challenges to AI adoption in 2021? Actually, Catherine, uh, I'm reminded <laughs> AI is being treated like a hammer. Okay. And now suddenly for our customers, everything looks like a nail. And that is, the, that is the biggest challenge that I see with my customers. There is a true element of uh, extrapolated understanding of what AI is. There is a huge mix up between traditional machine learning and statistics with AI. And that is exactly one of the biggest challenges I see with our customers because they tend to embrace AI the same way they have employed machine learning and automation in their enterprises. And that is fundamental, fundamental challenge for enterprises to embrace 
and they have to see AI differently. AI is not about a huge element of data. AI is not about a huge element of data being fed and machine learning being learning on its own. AI is about precise data and the whole aspect of what AI can deliver is very important. So that is the first big challenge. The second thing is, uh, see, AI is not about, uh, is about exactly what you are trying to use it for. It is for as good as the hypothesis that is being posed to it. So the biggest thing is, what is the question that you are wanting AI to answer? And the question has to be so different and so unique for you to exploit the fundamental nuance of what AI can deliver. If questions are very, hypotheses are extremely conventional and it is more or less a repetition of what you heuristically used to know about, you don't need AI in the first place. You just need a straightforward automation or a good statistical model to solve the problem. So the whole aspect of if we are trying to use technology to parrot or mirror conventional wisdom, AI is a, just a super souped Ferrari for a requirement which is just a sedan, normal sedan that you want. So that is a very, very important element. AI is about extending the boundaries and contours of how you think and what you think for your enterprise. And that needs a fundamental different mindset of exploitation within AI. And third, obviously, it is same for any other uh, aspect is data. Mm -hmm. It is as good as the quality of data. And every customer we go in, while the customers have a phenomenal aspiration to transform their enterprise with AI, then you realize the fundamental data fabric is not as good as it should be. So it starts off all the way from data engineering, data quality, and all the way through to AI. And hence, there is a fundamental ethos that foundation data has to be extremely good for AI to be successful in an enterprise. I think you've picked up on some really key challenges there that certainly need to be fixed over, over the coming year or so. And I absolutely love your hammer analogy. I'll be using that in future conversations for sure. Um, I'd like to just now talk about how, you know, within your line of work, do you look at encouraging clients to make sure that they're really embedding ethics when adopting AI solutions? It's a very, very important uh, question, Catherine, and it's a very important problem. Ethics in AI, okay? Primarily because most of these models are actually black box by design. And especially, as I mentioned earlier, if you are asking customers to shift the way of thinking, the type of hypothesis that they are going to ask is not conventional in the way of thinking. You can imagine that it is going to extend the boundaries of what they are comfortable with. And especially when an AI model, which is black box by design, gives back an answer, it's extremely difficult for anybody to understand and appreciate how that came about. Has the design been right? Is there an element of prejudicial profiling? Is there an element of bias? So one of the biggest things that we are encouraging our customers to do is to significantly invest in an agent capability, which we call as explainability. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to mirror the AI model with an elaborateness that ensures that as the model responds back to our hypothesis, there is a parallel mirror model which explains how this hypothesis has come about. That in turn gives us extreme level of confidence in terms of what exactly has happened, 
how you are making an inherent black box design AI model become a bit more transparent in nature. How we are able to ensure that the inner working of the model is published with very explainable, very simple business parameters, thereby helping the, I won't call it a watchdog, but helping the explainable model to observe whether the AI is working right or not. So it is extremely imperative that we double down on investment around these AI implementations that we do to provide sufficient element of explainability so that businesses and enterprises are able to embrace it with a, with a very fair degree of understanding of why exactly the models are responding the way they are doing and whether it is ethical in the right way. That is one. And the second element is it is imperative that there is conscious effort is being put in the data selection because right through uh, Catherine, you will see a constant red line that I've been narrating. The quality of data and the accurateness of data is extremely important. It is not the volume, it is the quality of the data. And given that quality has such a big importance to how the AI hypothesis responds to you, it is imperative that the data selection follows a very ethical model as well. So we want the operating model to publish is there an inherent bias? Is there how is the variance, etc.? What are the accuracy measures that is being put in before the model is actually taken to production? So we have to approach it in two ways. One is explainability, and another is how you select the data without any bias. That's a really interesting point. I really like your emphasis there on explainable AI. And of course, I think a lot of people tend to focus on access to data, which is of course very important, but actually data quality, as you've rightly said, is something which actually I don't think there's enough of a conversation around the importance of data quality right now, and, and that's that's fascinating. So thank you, Shanky. Unfortunately, we're, we're slightly running out of time, so I was wondering if we could maybe finish with, with one final question. If you could have one kind of key takeaway for listeners uh, considering experimenting with AI uh, within their own organisations, what would that key takeaway be? The AI adoption needs business change. Okay. Mm. It is all about focus on experimentation, hypothesizing, and most importantly, question your status quo. And AI is not about huge amount of data. It is about current, correct, and representative data. That is what you want for the hypothesis that you are posing to it. So let us not mix AI with statistics and ML. It needs a business change, and it is all about the quality of data that you build. Some brilliant final words of wisdom there. Thank you so much, Shanky, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much, Catherine. It's a pleasure. Huge thank you for listening to today's podcast. I've been your host, Catherine Holden, and if you'd like to find out more about the work we're doing on AI at Tech UK, please email me, catherine.holden at techuk.org, or check out Tech UK's website. Bye for now.